Welcome. I am Carol Sanford, your host for the Responsible Capitalist Podcast. The podcast is about finding a way to align your values with how you invest your money. We have many different podcasts from different folks, but today I'm going to give you an introduction to a way to think about how do you ensure that the investment you make is a success? Because one of the biggest challenges is that impact investors or even early stage angel investors struggle with how in the world do you figure out whether the way you're investing is going to work. So this is not so much about how you pick the investment, it's how you help launch it. Do a bit of assessing. The first, I have four criteria, actually. The first of those four criteria is I ask the question, is, is there a way that I can leverage this investment? Because I determined as part of two foundation boards and as part of an impact investing community that these four criteria really mattered. The first one being, we need to leverage. Now, if you think about it, it's really expensive to make an investment in someone. Now, often when you're an angel investor, you're putting in lower amounts of money, but it's still, you need to ensure that you have a way to get a return on that money. And I have found that leveraging makes a difference. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, not only not doing it alone, being in a community, but making sure that I have the community we're investing in invested in what we're doing. Um, I work with a group that I bring in often to my investments and to my projects to make sure that we're gonna get that leverage where we actually define a community we're gonna work in and therefore we can understand what makes that community unique, what's its identity, and what that brings forward in the process of determining that are people who care, people who say, oh, now I know why I live here, businesses who want to help support the businesses I'm investing in. Multiple foundations is also helpful. I've moved away from investing, if it's a foundation investment, from doing one alone or with the board I sit on. We work really to find multiple foundations who may want to participate. That being, instead of having one of them in the same place working on health, one working on education and children, another working on poverty or housing or transportation, we look at the place and say, how do we work on it as a collective? And we start to understand how that multiplicity becomes leveraged. Second thing is we have really moved toward how can something be, if I'm a foundation, be self-funding. Um, this is less important when you're an impact investor, but it's certainly worth considering because impact investors uh, already know something that foundations have not known which is that if you take a percentage, you are more invested in helping make it work, they're more invested in helping make it work, and that percentage gives you a chance to continue to fund in detail the forward movement of not only that place but other places. The third thing that we pay attention to is how do we really ensure success? And we found a couple of things that make so much difference in ensuring the success that, again, I want to make sure that if I'm investing, either as a foundation or a private impact investor, that I am looking at the uniqueness of that particular entity. Who are they? Not what are they trying to copy or build a trend or pick an issue, but do they have real clarity about who they are and what they are bringing so that it is identity driven, it is from their DNA. I find that when uh, people go pick an issue out somewhere or see a problem and they try and solve that, they tend to drop out their own uh, essence, their own what they're gonna bring to it. Without that present, the success, well, <laughs> what usually happens is they get burned out because they're working on something that's really hard. And if they don't have who they are in it, the creativity and the innovation dies.
The third thing, which I'm always asking the question about, is how can we grow the economy of a place while we grow a business? Why are those separate things? Why aren't all entrepreneur arenas done so that the community gets better? So I've told you on some occasions about Merida Meridian. They're a good example of this again, where when they went to uh, Brazil to work with the weavers that make many of their rugs and create extraordinary colors as well as patterns, the thing that they do is try and find and bring forward the craftsmen who've existed there and have been handed off that craft for a very long time. So you have the artisans who are deeply involved. You make sure it's not just fair trade, so you're not just paying somebody, anybody well, but you make sure you're keeping the, the craft and the uniqueness of that community completely alive. So in the process of trying to figure out where to invest, I always say, how are we gonna leverage this? How are we gonna make sure it's self-funded? How are we gonna ensure success by making sure we have the unique DNA of an entrepreneur involved? And how do we make sure it's tied to the economic growth? Today, we have a master at this conversation. Uh, she'll introduce herself to you, and I think you will be astounded to learn how she and the community that she works with go about thinking about impact investing. Welcome, Rosalie. Would you please introduce yourself to my audience, give them a little bit of your bio, and how you're contributing in the world right now? I um my name's Rosalie Harden. I feel like I'm in second grade, what I did with my summer vacation. But um, I grew up in northeast, extreme northeast Mississippi, was in high school in the 60s, uh, in the poorest county in Mississippi, and um, was in a part of that religious part of the world, the Bible, Bible Belt, the buckle of the Bible Belt, perhaps, and um, was always most interested in religion and faith and topics of that nature, but grew up in a newspaper family. And because I was a girl, religion and faith and churchy things were not particularly open to me at that time. Ended up um, going to California, meeting Kevin Jones, my husband. We moved to Mississippi, worked in the newspaper industry for uh, probably a decade. And then um, eventually uh, I was publisher and he was editor of the Mississippi Business Journal. And I... Uh, we finally just kind of realized that it was time to for me to go to seminary. Kevin and I had, uh, kind of described ourselves as serial entrepreneurs. We had started several businesses, almost, I think all of them related to information and community building, because we think those two things go hand in hand, that uh, you build a community by building conversations around things they care about. And then, uh, so that would be your newspaper. And then the community grows up around that. I see churches operating in, in very similar ways, uh, actually. But we had, we had done many businesses together, I think seven before I went to seminary. I'm really curious how you describe how you reconcile. Many people feel so conflicted about talking about money and faith and much less the idea of investing in faith. Could you build that bridge for how you hold that in your mind? And then we'll move on to your current ventures. I don't think I even have to build a bridge. I mean, if people talk about how do you make this connection between money and faith. The connection is there. The problem is the disconnection that we have given it because we don't want to talk about it. Uh, particularly in the Christian faith, there's this renowned verse in uh, the, ch the book of Acts, which is the book of Acts is the chapter that starts talking about what the people who were following Jesus did when he died. 
when he was no longer with them. We believe that he was resurrected, came back to earth, but he was, then he was gone. The Holy Spirit had come to be with them, and the first thing they did was sell all their possessions and held everything in common. So who wants to talk about that? You know, I mean, it it is a very dramatic picture of what a particular people at a particular time did. And the only way we have as literalist fundamentalists that we tend to be when we are people of faith in this country uh, is to think, well, if that's what they did, then we need to do that. And I'm not going to do that. So let's not talk about it. It's kind of ironic because there are so many things that the Bible asks us to do that we're willing to just ignore, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we, you know, we don't do that, <laughs> but we don't ignore it. We take it seriously and we try to figure out how to get closer to it. And my step into this piece of they sold everything they had and held everything in common is, you know, in the 21st century, we actually are a step ahead of them. We know we hold everything in common. We have this earth in common. We have our air in common. We have our water in common. And we just ignore it. So one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you, I mean, you know, I've talked to Kevin a lot over several years, but I watch you each time I'm at SoCap on the stage. And so here's what I was fascinated by, and I think it will help us give people a way to understand how you hold SoCap and social capital. Um, it feels like for you, investing is a very personal thing first. You spend time looking at your own values, your own relationship to money, how you're going to invest. But then you went a step further and you started looking at, well, how do we invest with others? So it became a community practice. And then you've taken another step, which is how do I invest the the, the thinking processes, which you did with media for years with print and and now blogs and other ways but you've made this progression from a personal piece of work to a community process to now something that is one of the biggest conferences on the planet in relation to investing i'm very curious about that progression and then get get us up to describing what socap is about and of course social capital funds on the way i've never thought of what i've never thought of it that way but with Kevin and our partner, Tim Freundlich, going to social enterprise conferences and philanthropic investing, very little was being done. And they said, there needs to be a venture fund that does this. And they, would, they said that for three or four years. And finally, they said, well, well let's, let's raise a venture fund and do it. And it turned out to be a lot harder than they thought it was going to be. One of the things that People were really intrigued by it. They were asking questions about it. They wanted to talk to Tim and Kevin all the time. And they, their calendars were full of people wanting to talk to them. And they started having a, an event at, at the Good Cap office. And um, 300 people would show up for this little beer and cheese party in the mission in San Francisco. And finally, we said, well, what if we had a conference? Because Kevin and I have a long history of having put on events. We said, well, let's let's see what would happen if we did it. And this was in 2008. The economy's falling apart, and our and we had announced we were going to have this investing conference. And we thought we were in trouble. But what turns out was we were saying, what about looking at this differently? And our tickets went through the roof. 
people just started buying tickets to come to this thing. And what we discovered was there really is a group of people out there who want, who see this, who have that, have had that, that insight of, Hey, I can make a difference with my money, but I, I can't make that big a difference with my money. I'm not Bill Gates. I don't have all the money in the world. I've just got, you know, I've got, maybe I could invest a hundred thousand dollars. You know, maybe I've got that much or maybe I only have $10,000. It's like, well, I can't do it by myself, but if you get 10 people who have $10,000, then you've got a hundred thousand dollars. Exponentially, you can start thinking, well, there, we really might make a difference. And I think that's one of the reasons SOCAP is so, vital is that we've got 2,000 people there, each one of them is trying to make a difference. The difference we are making gets exposed and enfleshed at SOCAP, where you see all these entrepreneurs who are doing this amazing work, and you see all these investors who really are making investments, and you see all the, you, you hear the stories of what's going on and how it's happening, and you hear the academic papers that people are you know, the academicians who are writing about this and teaching about it, you start seeing the interest that's coming out of universities and colleges of students who want to start a business, but they want it to have a good purpose. And it, 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 you start realizing this can happen. This actually could happen. What is the purpose of SOCAP? I can see you describing a bit about how it works. What would you say is the purpose of the conference? It looks to me like there are some sub- Conferences. I mean, I don't know what the Nordic group is. I have spoken to them. I don't know their relationship to SOCAP, but they call themselves Nordic SOCAP. What's the purpose of SOCAP overall? Well, that, that's a really good question. The purpose of those four days is to, a festival to bring together people who are thinking about this in a wide variety of ways to see what synergies can happen, to see how creative we can get, how how you can learn from me and I can learn from you and to bring a consciousness to we're all going to show up in San Francisco these three or four days and um, have our community physically present so that we can have these conversations that we're having through Hangouts and through Skype and on phones and through lots of travel. But for three or four days, as many of us as possible, in, in a very U.S.-centric way, are going to show up for this event. We do have people come from around the world. Usually we have about 60 countries represented there. Um, but it, it is, it's just to have that conversation, to document where we are, how far have we come since 2008, and to have a grand hope. You know, wh where might we be in 2016 when we all gather again? Hope that, you know, Susan talks to Tom and they have a great idea and something brilliant happens because they were actually in the same place at the same time talking to each other. Hey. Now, there, there are people who come to SOCAP, get inspired by it and have their own working groups. And Nordic SOCAP is a great group of them. Um, he's just done an amazing job. He goes all over um Northern Europe, just drumming up. We've got to change the way we understand investments and how we're spending our money and all that. And he just has this great group of folks. And we almost always have a great Swedish colleague group that comes. But every year we have more. Um, Japan had a group last year. There's a huge group of Canadians who come. There's India always. Um, 
different countries in Africa have sent? I spoke to the entrepreneur group the day before um, oh. last year's, and I was amazed at the diversity and the range of places they come and the range of businesses they were working on, even mm -hmm. the range experience. So I do think that it is serving a global purpose, even though it happens in the U.S. and is more based on kind of U.S. regulatory things around investing and so forth. People go make it up for themselves. It's right. Let me ask you, you, you spoke about how far you've come. 2008, here we are, 2015 by this fall. What are you excited about that you see moving as a result of the conversation there and elsewhere? What is changing, exciting you, or giving you hope either way? What has been phenomenal to me was that the conferences like this tend to have like a five-year life cycle where you see people get excited about something and then maybe they're not so excited about it. And what has been very exciting to me was we hit year five and we kind of had a caucus and said, well, we don't know what will happen next year because we should level off and we might even start decreasing. And that just hadn't happened, that we went from 600 to 900 to 1,200 to 1,700 to 2,000 to 2,200. And, and tickets are selling this year even better than they've sold, than they were selling last year. We're, we don't, uh, we're trying to figure out in the next week to 10 days whether 2,500, which we had set as our cap this year, has to be firm or whether we can have more. So that says to me that... Um, that this thing continue, is continuing to moving, move. It wasn't a, the, the idea, not SoCal, but the whole idea of impact investing is not a flash in the pan. It is people are thinking differently about how they invest their money, how they spend their money. And the other thing that has been real exciting at SoCal has been every year another group attaches, they have a party at or after, or the day before, or the day after, so that SOCAP has kind of become this granddaddy event where lots of other events are happening around it. And everybody who puts on events like this get together at SOCAP and talk about, so what's our niche? You know, where do we see the role that Opportunity Collaboration or SRI in the Rockies or whatever those events are? What's And SOCAP is kind of like the granddaddy where it's very broad very inclusive you know we don't have a topic that we talk about we are trying to cover the waterfront you know we're like you know the new york times or <laughs> compared to your hometown newspaper i have one more and there are probably other questions but there's one more that i you know the kleisners obviously charlie and lisa and they've put in a lot of time helping people think about the 100% club. The idea of, I don't just take a little bit of my money, which, you know, I don't care if I lose, and I put it somewhere, but over a lifetime, I move from initially moving into the market to increasingly getting up to 100%. What do you think about that, and how does one go about moving that way? Charlie and Lisa are experts in how to do it, but what I can tell you is that I think it's an admiral admirable goal and I don't like black and white thinking I mean I, I like what they're doing I'm not saying that I don't like what they're doing but, but I but I think that there are many many people really want to do that that there are millions of people who want to do something 
my goal in life and my conversation about this is not the 100% club because I think when we, for the kind of people I speak to, I'm not talking to multimillionaires who are trying to figure out how to invest everything. I'm talking to Joe and Susan who have heard about impact investing and want to think about how they might do better. And one of my examples that I almost always have is I almost always have on some article of clothing that I know exactly where it came from, that I got from an entrepreneur. Um, I, I carry a bag that was made by Poppin' J, which is a fashion bag company that Saba Ghul, who is a social entrepreneur, grown in Pakistan. And her, she has an amazing story about how she decided to do this. She's an MIT engineering graduate and from Pakistan and wanted to make a difference in her country. And I carry her bag. I wear her bag, as they say. And I usually say, I have this bag and I can tell you so much about it. And I have no clue where anything else I have on came from. Saba Gould's bag and it's got this great story and I've got my iPhone and it's got a bad story. Mm -hmm. And that's the world we live in. Mm -hmm. And I am so encouraged by the 100% Club and the 100% work that Charlie and Lisa are doing. But I also know that, you know, when you try to become a vegan, maybe you have to do it a little bit at a time. These are hard things we do and how do we, how do we bite off what we can manage? Mm -hmm. the, the average person is not going to be able to figure out how to get their 401k or, or worse yet, my God, pension funds. I have a pension through the Episcopal Church and the Episcopal Church pension fund. I mean, how do you, how do you join the 100% club and know that you're in this pension, you know, so, so I try to help people say it's not an all or nothing. Make a, make a step. And I say to people who ask, how do I get 100% in? Talk to Charlie and Lisa and go, girl. I think that's great. So you are one of the few people that I, and, and these podcasts are, you know, kind of a sideline for me because I love meeting people and having these conversations. But you're one of the first people who really makes it very personal and accessible. And I think that somebody would want me to ask you the question I'm about to ask, and maybe it's me, which is you have to reconcile inside of yourself your aspiration and your ability to actually act. And that's really, it's a spiritual process, right? It is truly a spiritual process. The clergy tend to say we all have just one sermon that you can listen. I've preached hundreds and hundreds of times. And if you listen to all my sermons, that there's probably, that there's one message in it. I, I'll go with two of them, but, and they both fit this, is that God loves you, no change required. And God loves your portfolio. No change required. And when you know you're loved and you're secure in that love, then you can begin to take a step to say, well, gosh, I want to respond to that love. I want, I want to start seeing this gift of money that I've been given for those of us who, who and practically everybody who would be watching a podcast like this is going to have resources. I want to take that gift and try to use it to be in line with my ethics. I heard somebody say the other day that they had heard a business professor talking about um, impact investing and social entrepreneurship saying, you know, don't 
don't have two sets of ethics. What you do with your personal life and what you would do with your business you're starting. Your business should follow your ethics. Well, I have that kind of same thing. Don't have two sets of ethics. What I do with my life and what I do with my money. I see my money and every time I spend it as an ethical extension of who I am. I can't bite off 100% of that. You know, I I went shopping yesterday to get a new top that I needed to wear that needed to be cool and it needed to be, you know, it needed to move and it needed all these things and I needed to buy it in Asheville and I had 30 minutes, not two hours to go discuss that with a seamstress who was going to get ethically sourced fabric. And so I just bought a top and I didn't look at the label and you're seeing it. It's right here. And, you know, and that it's just what it is. And I would love to be in a place where I'm thinking about it hundred percent of the time, but it's how do you weigh it? The reason I'm able to live in that tension is because it's okay. The second message is, uh, particularly as a, an Episcopal priest, where we go to the Eucharistic table or go to the communion or go to have mass every time where there's that piece of bread that's broken and we share it together and we become strengthened because we're in this together. And that's the other message that I have. I'm okay. And I am strengthened by being in a community. So that's kind of how I see this with the impact investing is that, you know, do what you can, not what you can't. Mm -hmm. If you just do what you can do and quit worrying about the things you can't do and find a community, which we find through SoCap, or you might find through a giving circle in your hometown, or you might find through, you know, a church group or you might find by connecting with folks through a podcast find a community who supports you in that and figure out how to 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 be supported in the work you want to do in the world and those are the two things i would say to folks well if i heard that once a week it would uh be uplifting so i'm glad we have this on a podcast i know that people are going to want to know how to find you what is the website that people would go to to learn more about SOCAP. Uh, and if people send me questions, I will forward them to you and see if you want to respond. You may or may not. But I would like for them to at least have a way to follow up on the, um, the, the conference. What's the website for that? Let me make sure I have it right because I, we, have, we launched it last week. Socialcapitalmarkets.net, which is our main website. Mm-hmm. And then there is a sub site that is socap15 socialcapitalmarkets.net. I love you, Rosalie Harden. What you do is totally amazing. What you've created with SOCAP has made it possible for so many of us to come together in community and talk. I recommend every one of you go get on their newsletter, go sign up and be in their October uh, annual conference that happens in the Bay Area of San Francisco. Even go sign up for Social Capital's newsletter. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. If you would like to know more about Rosalie Harden, you now have her uh, webpage, and we will also post it at the bottom of this podcast. In addition to that, we have a great many other podcasts we invite you to come find, and it's at www.seed-communities.com. So seed, S-E-E-D, hyphen communities, plural, dot com. There you will find not only podcasts, but blogs, connections to the communities we build for entrepreneurs, for investors, and for change agents. And I hope you'll continue to join us, and I'll find you here next time. Thank you.